Welcome to a new episode of Talk to the Science. Today's topic will be materials and sustainability. I'm Nicoline and I'm here with Michael Kuipers, Assistant Professor of Prehistoric Europe at the University of Leiden and author at the Correspondent and director of the documentary The Future is Handmade. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hello, I'm fine. Thanks for the invitation. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's uh, an impressive uh, amount of things that you have on your name, the documentary and being author and assistant professor. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to hear uh, how all these things will be connected. And I think uh, we're going to talk about all of them today. Uh, I actually read uh, on your... Uh, on your LinkedIn, I think you call yourself an interdisciplinary mess. <laughs> is that sometimes how you feel, like a mess? <laughs> yes. Is that also on my LinkedIn? It is. Uh, it surely <laughs> is on my Twitter. But uh, Oh, maybe it's your Twitter. Um, yeah, that's a funny way to describe it. Uh, uh, but yes, I do sometimes uh, feel like that. So obviously I'm trained as an archaeologist, but there are, there are moments when I sort of doubt whether I can still call myself an archaeologist because I'm branching out in other fields and I'm working a lot with the present or even the future, uh, looking towards the future. I mean, in essence, it's archaeological thinking that guides uh, all my research. Maybe from that perspective, indeed, I, I am an archaeologist, but I just love to be um, inspired and drawn into different fields. Always Sometimes it feels a bit uncomfortable, but at the same time, that sort of tension that it creates, or that, um, that being uncomfortable at all. So it's a sign that things are getting really interesting. That you're also, you know, you're learning new things. The the tension is a is a sign that you're uh, at a good s spot. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, if there's a little bit of tension between two fields, eh? mm -hmm. not that I'm tense myself, but just a little bit of tension of. Um, yeah, you want to work on the on on, for instance, on a topic like sustainability, mm -hmm. but people from envir uh, from environmental sciences might define that word very differently from an archaeologist and that creates some tension but I think these you know, having these uh, different perspectives uh, is, can really add something yes yes yeah maybe we can uh, start with a very concrete example so uh, a few episodes ago I had a conversation with uh, Maria she was a PhD researcher on bioplastics and we had a conversation about uh, like the chemical perspective of what makes bioplastics bio. And uh, what struck me uh, in that conversation was that Maria herself does not see her research as the solution to the plastic problem. So uh, in particular, I asked Maria at some point, like, oh, would it have been better if all face masks, because face masks are also made of plastic, uh, if they were made from bioplastics? Um, and I assumed that she would say yes, because that's what she devotes her research on, on bioplastics. But she didn't. She said, like, uh, if face masks were made of bioplastics, then people would even feel less guilty of throwing their face masks on the streets. 
therefore yeah making face masks out of bioplastics might only contribute to a wrong mindset um yeah and i think this is exactly where your story michael comes in because we can have as many uh scientific uh or not scientific maybe but like chemical studies uh, as we want but in the end how we use a product uh, is at least as important so we need these two perspectives that you that you mentioned um and yeah i was wondering as an archaeologist you are specialized specialized in material use over time as you said um yeah can you tell me what is archaeology according to you and in what sense does it teach us something about material use uh, yes of course but first i, I think let's first talk a little bit more about what Maria was mentioning there because that's I think an excellent example also of being interdisciplinary of realizing that you know you indeed she spent her whole PhD on trying to come up with a solution or at least part of a solution but then also realizing like oh this might not be the final solution because behavior of people plays a large role that's that's actually fantastic that she really realizes that and i think that's also a, um, that defines i would say a, a new generation of uh, researchers who are far more comfortable working interdisciplinary who don't necessarily need to stuck to their specific expertise and can only talk about that and can only see solutions in that part of of, of their uh, world basically but yeah we realized like okay there's more there's more happening here and especially also that she mentioned mindset but yeah that's that's I guess where my uh, research would come in because it's one of the elements that I'm very interested in like how materials might even let's say create particular mindsets or at least how they shape our cognition how they influence human beings Um, now, as for your question, how do I define archaeology? Yeah, yeah. So I was wondering, because this is all very interesting, but for me it's not uh, clear yet how, as an archaeologist, because I think many people, when you think of archaeology, think of think of yeah people digging up something from the ground. How do you get from this view as an archaeologist? That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. I mean, that's not incorrect, of course. We excavate. That's basically where our uh, data comes from. That is, if you specifically want to say something about the past. And obviously, archaeology, to, to a large extent, is about the past. But it's but we you study the past in a very particular way. 99% of our past doesn't have uh, historical sources. So we have to study it through something else. Now... Let's say the bread and butter of our discipline are things. Things and materials. Sort of things that people make and use. That's of interest to us. That's what we um, excavate. And through that, through that's the lens through which we understand human beings. Through which we try to reconstruct past uh, behaviors and past societies. So there are some archaeologists who say, well, that actually makes archaeology a discipline of things. I'm one of them. I like that. I like that approach. So the, actually, the past has left a definition there. It's just a discipline of things. Mm -hmm. So 
taking things and materials as a starting point and using that and, and, and looking at how people use things and materials and through that actually study uh, behavior. That's how I would uh, define archaeology. And that doesn't necessarily need to take place in the past, of course. We can do that. Uh, yeah, just, just to give you a very funny example of how... how and, and this, I think everyone can do this. But today I was... Uh, uh, I was looking for... I was uh, visiting a house. Uh, you know, I, I want to move houses, so I was visiting mm -hmm. a house. And there was obviously a lot of stuff in that house. And even though they sort of strip it of most of the personal materials, there are obviously things left. And I was looking around and I was thinking, these people work at the university. I can just see it from the stuff that is that is here. This, this is someone who works at the university. Okay, why? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so that's quite. I don't know. That's there. Hmm, why? More generally, you there, there is, yeah. you know, in the sense of how it's decorated. There's some art in the house. There was a piano. You can. Obviously, the stuff that you have in your home tells so much about who you are. Okay, well, this this is very interesting because it, it seems like you're, as an archaeologist, are so focused on looking at materials and how they define your identity that even if you visit a house, you 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 have this mindset, this view as an archaeologist. Yeah, well, maybe that's just uh, how do you beroepsdeformatie? Uh, what is that in English? Oh, I have no no idea. <laughs> Uh, what, what what does it mean if you describe it beroepsdeformatie even in Dutch I don't, I'm not sure it's a, it's a problem that you have because you can do too much archaeology so you can't switch off that mindset ah, okay yeah 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 like uh, in the same way that you have if ballet dancers walk on the street uh, they you can always see that they are ballet dancers like that like you cannot switch off your 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 profession is just what you are also. Yeah, outside. you're so yeah. trained in sort of looking in this particular manner. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that even when I'm just, yeah, when I'm visiting a house, I just notice. And I, and I, know I, was, I was right, by the way, because obviously you can find some, you, you can ask for some information about the house. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, we found the names of the people who lived there and... Uh, <laughs> and, and I checked at the, at the university website, and indeed. Uh, oh wow! <laughs> okay, it's just funny. It's <laughs> well, something yes. in. Yeah, I, I, but I think this is not this is not something very uncommon. I'm pretty sure that many people uh, uh, can do this if you ask them that, they, or they at mm. least realize that. The, 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 the clothes that you use the, the stuff that you buy in shops your particular taste that you have that's yeah. tells a lot about who you are as a person yeah okay and so uh, so as an archaeologist you're very trained in uh, in looking at uh, materials and yes then and you do that at the level of societies I would yeah. say yeah the same kind of approach but at the level of entire society At the correspondent, you have written in particular on sustainable material use. Um, how is it then? Uh, we know now what archaeology more or less is. How is it that you go from archaeology to sustainability? 
Um, I mean, the idea at the Cross Planet was indeed to write about sustainable material use, but but it didn't. I, I, I wouldn't say that those articles about are about sustainable material use. They are about the four uh, materials that really define our society, and they're not sustainable at all. It's it's. I mean, if you read all four of them in a row, it's quite depressing. I think. Mm-hmm. So the four are uh, plastic, concrete. Uh Steel, steel, and, and um, fertilizer. Actually, okay, yeah, might be a strange one, but mm-hmm. a large part of the uh, population today is alive thanks to fertilizers. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, but okay, you you wrote there that actually they're very. These are the materials that are mo- that define our society nowadays. But they are not sustainable at all, actually. No. So the idea is also to to uh, look into more sustainable materials, uh, and uh, hopefully there will be some follow-up articles where I indeed uh, focus m- more on this. And there, uh, to answer your question of archaeology and sustainability, well, there archaeology already comes in. Now, one, I mean, I could answer that question in several uh, ways of how archaeology and sustainable sustainability are linked. Um, the most straightforward one is that basically as archaeology students you're told you study archaeology or you study history because we can learn from the past now this was also told to me as a student uh, but over time I realized look if there's one thing we are not doing it's learning from the past we're just constantly repeating the same mistakes I mean there are examples of societies just messing up their environment to such an extent that they disappeared uh, but I would say again now we're at the point where indeed we can learn from uh, past societies but this time it's not learning in sort of a conceptual sense of a or we should learn from them in a sense of a warning that we that we get but it's learning in a far more practical it's very straightforward manner there are building techniques, for instance, uh, all building techniques that architects are returning to now. Building with wood, which is very popular now. Well, sorry, but building with wood is not innovative at all. That's uh, We've been doing that for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Um, there are uh, architects now looking for uh, basically old craftspeople who have been building a lot with wood because they... they they want to learn from them in in the sense that particular techniques of joining wood uh, wood without uh, glue or anything, but uh, for instance, very complex versions of the mortise and tennis joint, which mm-hmm. is a way of joining wood without clay. And they're trying to get this knowledge out of all the craftspeople. Uh, but these techniques have been around for so long. I mean, there the, there is a for instance a Neolithic uh, well in Germany, a water well. Uh, 5000 BC that has this mortise and tennis joint and exactly the same joint is still used today if you would show a carpenter that joint they would recognize it and say oh that's skillful work Um, so several of these uh, innovations that we that we have today in terms of sustainable building are actually going back to very traditional techniques Mm -hmm. Uh, to give you one other example I am working together with some architects who are 
uh, in different places in the Netherlands uh, are uh, coring. So in you know they're coring in the ground to get particular kinds of clay uh, uh, and soil. And from that they're making uh, stones. Well, not, not actually stones, but um, mud bricks. So they make just dried bricks, wind-dried bricks, mud bricks, basically. And you can build with them. Um, this is done also. Uh, they want to show this on the Dutch Design Week. Uh, and they're doing this for two reasons. They want to show that you can actually build with local materials, that you can build with local clays. Oh, and that that's actually far more sustainable than uh, bricks or baking bricks or uh, definitely far more sustainable than concrete and they're also doing it because they want to capture the stories of particular landscapes in that brick or, uh, sorry in that uh, yeah mud brick mm -hmm. but again this is obviously something that has been around for thousands of years yeah. what do you think they were doing here in the Iron Age yeah. they, were, they were using loam and daub uh, to build our houses which is basically mud break yeah. so one way in which archaeology and sustainability are c connected is you can learn from the past and specifically in looking at mater how materials were used in the past to learn how we can use materials now nowadays sustainability so that's one way yes yeah, so that's yeah. a was very long answer to to give a very uh, well basically yeah. straightforward approach we can learn from the past obviously we can have warnings from the past uh, of how we should not deal with the environment yeah and yeah and then we can very directly learn from the past in terms of using those very same techniques mm -hmm. And then uh, there's another thing that I found, uh, maybe another kind of perspective that I found interesting when I read your article about plastic, um, namely the perspective of how we, uh, yeah, maybe you could, that as an archaeologist you can look at how as a soci society materials are used. So with plastic, for example, I found it very striking that you said that it was designed with environmental purposes. Um, and well, look what it is now today. It's like the symbol of pollution, more or less. Um, yeah, can you tell something about that? That how is it possible for society that something that is designed with very good intentions actually becomes uh, such a symbol for pollution? The inventor of the plastic bag actually thought it would be a good solution uh, to have a plastic bag that you can reuse all the time instead of paper bags for which you have to cut down trees. Mm -hmm. That obviously didn't happen. That didn't happen for the, partly for the reason that I wanted to uh, uh, read out here. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a very old document from the, from the Society of the Plastic Industry. And literal quotes in there are, the future of plastics is in the trash can. Here's one other sentence. A happy day has arrived when nobody uh, any longer considers the plastic package too good to throw away. So there, I, yeah, yeah, it's really, and, and then and then they, they obviously, they translated this also in, in, in the material itself. Like plastic is, it's so flimsy, it's, and it's often, it's um, transparent. So it almost, it is almost literally invisible. Mm -hmm. And that partly I think is, the reason why such a throwaway mindset can be created. 
Yeah, so there was uh, by the industry and intentionally there was a mindset created around plastic bags and plastic more generally to shape it as a waste waste product. Is this something also as an archaeologist that you that you are uh, trained at looking at like the the way in which societies uh, deal with materials because Yeah, I think to come back to the example we started with, you can design uh, very good materials like bioplastics, but if we then use it uh, in a bad way, it can still be still lead to pollution. Yes, but that I think goes for many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's but this a is why example. yes, this is why it's so important to also yeah. understand use and to understand behavior, basically. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm sure you're aware that in the Netherlands there's a discussion going on and well what's the value of the humanities for instance compared to the hard sciences mm-hmm. well this exactly this that that it's extremely important to understand behavior I don't see a behavioral change happening on the basis of a graph telling me that things are going bad mm-hmm. you you need that I think that's Then, if you if you think that that's going to happen, then you have a serious lack of understanding of how human behavior works. Mm-hmm. Talking about behavioral changes, um, one of the things that you did is uh, that you made a documentary about craftsmanship. Uh, is this one of the things that you believe are important for behavioral changes? And maybe can you also tell something about the documentary? What what, what was the purpose of making it, and what was it about? The documentary is a makes a case for skill, so as a type of knowledge, as an important and I think undervalued type of uh, knowledge. And it's uh, I call it on purpose. The future is handmade, which is obviously quite a statement, uh, which I did on purpose because I want a discussion about this. I want a discussion about if the Netherlands calls itself a knowledge economy, what on earth do we mean by that? What is knowledge? Mm-hmm. And I think looking at politics today, not a knowledge economy for most people is, oh, we send everyone to the university and, and then they can go work in a company. And at the university from books, that's where you get your knowledge. But that's a very narrow definition of knowledge. So for me, knowledge is also, uh, as I said in the documentary by someone, It's uh, making something beautiful as an expression of knowledge. So skill, I think, is a very important knowledge form. That's mostly what the documentary is about, to open up this discussion about what is knowledge, what is important. Do all our kids really seriously have to go to university or maybe mm-hmm. we can appreciate other forms of knowledge a little bit more. Then to come back to the sustainability uh, issue, um, I think if you want to change, if you want to go through that transformation to a sustainable economy, so you want to change behavior, you need good narratives, strong narratives, hopeful narratives that people want to go along with. And here, I think craftsmanship can also offer something. Uh, not only is it a, a nice narrative that you see is also actually popular now in many ways, you know, the slow food movement, the craft beer, everything mm-hmm. in the supermarket is suddenly ambachterlijk. Mm-hmm. So it is something that's already sort of has a certain certain 
power, I would say. Yeah, yeah, it's very popular nowadays. It's popular, yes. But that's then, that sounds good. (laughs) I think that's good, yes. But at the same time, it also actually is a trope that can carry uh, the values of a circular economy quite well, or of a sustainable economy, because... Because craftsmanship is also about the notion of, okay, excellence, durability, uh, really valuing the things that you make and you use. And that's sort of the kind of ethos that we need for a sustainable economy. So I, I think it might work really well as, as one of the narratives that we, that we need for a sustainable transition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then... Um Yeah, coming back also to the question of uh, making behavioral change. Um, Yeah, you are a scientist in the first place, or I don't know if if you are in the first place, but you are a scientist, Um, but not an ordinary scientist. Uh, So you made this documentary and you also write journalistic articles. Um, Yeah, what is your view as on the role as a scientist in making the society more sustainable? So I asked before, like, why do you do these things as making documentaries? Do you believe this is needed to to get actual behavioral change? Well, I guess I do it because I'm very concerned. Mm -hmm. And um, but uh, there's more to it also. I think as a scientist, look, you. I had many opportunities, of course, uh, to go study. Uh, fantastic time as a as a student, and you could do a PhD. I even went to I went to England. I studied at Cambridge, which is uh, uh, let's say the heights of academia. Okay, so I'm considered an elite, probably. I'm fine with that, actually. I have no problem, but I also feel it comes with responsibility. So yeah, in a sense, I do it also because I feel responsible. I think, okay, uh, I had all these opportunities, many of which were also partly paid for, obviously, by uh, other people paying taxes. So I want to do something back, and I think that's important. And part of that happens in science by just publishing scientific papers, but that's obviously not where you're going to have the biggest impact. And it's important that you can also translate your scientific work. Mm-hmm. Do you think that it is something that more scientists should do? In terms of uh, the examples that I gave in the, in the um, articles for the Consonant, all of them have examples of particular craftsmanship. So concrete, that, that Monnier, who who's basically is considered the inventor of uh, concrete, uh, or at least the reinforced concrete. He was basically he was a craftsman. Um, Haber with his uh, ammonia, you co- you couldn't have made that invention without having at his side this very skillful instrument maker. Mm-hmm. That's craftsmanship also. So you have all these examples of okay, the people that actually really made an impact are the people working with materials and we generally don't know their names because we focus on on the kings and the politicians and mm-hmm. but in the sense of who of who's actually shaping our world I, I would i would place my bets on on these people yeah the people that that design the materials and 
yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the things that also last. So mm -hmm. very interestingly now I'm working with uh, design students from the Art Academy who followed my class on how materials shape the world. And there, some of them are designing really, really simple objects like um, a brush to do the dishes with. To try and redesign this. And others are working on 3D, 3D printing of houses in clay. But all of them are in a way making objects that are going to last longer than they are. Like, which is, that's, that's intriguing to think about. And yeah. I, I want the designer also to think about that, and yeah. and that it actually that that should cause some uh, consider some ethical considerations of okay, what am I doing? What am I placing in this world? Uh, yeah. It'd be interesting to think of, of that as an archaeologist also to think if okay, I want to design something that archaeologists in the future won't be able to find. Mm -hmm. Then you probably made something sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe the, the, the bioplastics. <laughs> yeah. It's more difficult than you think. I mean, archaeologists mm -hmm. are pretty, pretty good at uh, recovering traces. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, then finally I was wondering, uh, I asked you about some music. And one song you sent me was this, uh, it was called Progress from Public Service Broadcasting. Um, why uh, do you think it is uh, an interesting song for this topic? Yeah, a, a, I would say it's a nerd band. Okay, <laughs> why? Not, I just really like it how they integrate uh, history and science, and they also have two very nice songs about the Elfstedentocht, uh, and that's all integrated in a song. It's mm -hmm. just so nicely done. I generally like that band but uh, the reason I sent you two songs which were both in a way about the same uh, issue so I sent Pearl Jam with uh, Do The Evolution mm -hmm. which I sometimes also show to my students because uh, to, to explain a particular criticism to how we see evolution uh, mm -hmm. the old way of seeing evolution is that basically we are we are the end product we are the best we are the outcome of, of evolution that's obviously uh, uh, well, that's that's I think of, that's a false reading of what e evolution is. But uh, you can explain that. Uh, I can have uh, the students read academic papers on this and why this is uh, incorrect. But the song by Paul Jam also will do the job. So I recommend the viewers to actually look at that clip. Mm -hmm. And what it does is very much question also this idea of progress. What do we actually mean with progress? Well, that brings us, uh, I think, to uh, to an ending. Uh, what is something, Michael, that you would like, uh, a main message that you would like to give to the listeners? Okay, that's an interesting one. And then I would say, uh, maybe try and think a little bit more like an archaeologist now and then. Uh, by which I mean, uh, think in several generations. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm following here... Uh, a book that recently came out by a philosopher. I'm going to pronounce his name. Well, the first name is easy, Roman. His last name is Knarich, I think. Uh, the book is called A Good, An uh, Good Ancestor. And he's he's basically making an argument for exactly this. Like, if you, whatever you do, sort of think in at least seven generations, what are the impacts of what you are doing? And to me, that is think that is long-term thinking, which is just it's typical for an archaeologist. So 
I would rephrase that and say, look, think a little bit more like an archaeologist now and then. Yeah, that sounds like a good good message. Like from now, uh, wh whatever we do or uh, think think about the next generations. Yeah, not only the next, the yeah. next seven. The next seven <laughs> generations. Okay, thanks, Michael. They have always talked, but before your eyes they are changing. 